Welcome to Make Money Count, the podcast by Connect Home Financing. Be sure to visit makemoneycount.com to find all of our old episodes. Be sure to rate, comment, and review on all of your favorite podcast platforms. If you want to send us a question, please send us a question to hello at connect.ca. That's connect with an A. If you're not already a subscriber, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Thank you once again for listening to Make Money Count. And welcome our new host, Jay Mad Dog Michaels. Welcome to Make Money Count. I'm Jay Michaels, joined by Marcus Ferris, an economist with a background in investment banking. Marcus has been brokering mortgages all over the world for over 20 years, yet they sell it back in our country, which is great. Building Connect Up from a small brokerage into your one-stop shop for all things home financing and investing. Joined by as well, Justin Turner with nearly 10 years of experience in customer service and sales in various fields. Justin keeps the team at Connect focused on one thing, making sure your mortgage makes sense, which I can attest to. Also, Matthew Scanlon is here, customer service representative with Connect, who specializes in finding low-cost solutions to get clients out of debt and back on track with their credit report. Guys, how you doing? Great. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Fantastic. You did a deal for MagDog? MagDog? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Why do you think I left the province? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you had to run away somehow. For the better. For the better, gentlemen. It's actually really great to be with you. I've, I've watched uh, your Instagram stuff. I've watched, obviously, everything online as well as listened to the pod. And man, let's let's just jump right in. Even before I came into the studios today to hook up with you guys, spent some time on CNN. And, uh, you know, do you want to go hot mess? Do you want to go dumpster fire? Where do you where do you want to start with Ukraine and Russia today? It seems like it's getting a little bit messy. Yes. That's why I wore my Mr. Messy shirt today. Good call. I don't know if white was the right call, though. Why not? Because it's getting so messy. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where he was going with I that. I had no idea. I better have more of my green tea. Like, that's not a spaghetti shirt. <laughs> it's uh, we've been talking about it the last couple of shows, and it just it seems like the longer this plays out, the more of a kind of dramatic impact it's going to have on everything. I think it it might have caught the Russians off guard that it was going to take so long, which is strange. Um, and I think that the impact that we're seeing in like every commodity increasing in price is going to exacerbate some of the inflationary pressure that we've seen here in North America and in the EU. Um, so for, you know, Canadians who are already worried about share of wallet and what they're spending money on, uh, you know, these these are all input costs, right? Like all the things that we're hearing about that are increasing in price right now out of this Ukraine crisis from oil, which has been kind of a real predominant focus, to wheat, to things that like are going to start coming to light, like uranium and I mean, obviously gold's increased in price. But all of these inputs are, you know, have to be paid for. And um, and will have a pronounced impact on our economy. And it's making the job of central governors like Powell in the States and Tiff Macklin here in Canada much more, much more difficult. Now, with 
with a country like Russia too, I heard them described as, you know, by various sources as a gas station with a military around it. Let's talk a little bit about the, the timing of a war, not even really a hundred percent out of a pandemic is, is something like that. Obviously we're not talking, we're talking financials. We're not talking politics, but economically, is that a smart move for a country like Russia to make where, you know, really the economies around the world haven't even yet bounced back? Or do you think that's a, a move they made on purpose? I mean, it depends on how far down the rabbit hole you go on something like this. And I think that what we saw out of COVID is that it's converted a lot more people who were middle of the road to conspiracy theorists. And if you look at what's happened, this is a very slow moving train crash. So like NATO has been talking about bringing the Ukraine into the alliance and that dialogue kind of amped up leading into this act of aggression from Russia. Russia has, at, at, at all points has said, we do not want the Ukraine to join NATO. They've been very clear about that. They've stated that if the Ukraine looks like it's going to join NATO, Russia's going to attack. The, I mean, I was reading an article yesterday that said that uh, in one of the Kharkiv, Kharkiv or whatever, I, I don't know the pronunciation, but they were saying that the people there were saying, as from 2014, they were saying at some point, we don't know whether it's a day, a year, 10 years, we know Russia's coming based on the dialogue that's happening between NATO and the United States on one side and Russia on the other side. So it's not surprising that it's happened. And perhaps, it, I mean, it could have been provoked by the United States on one side, or it could have been accelerated by Russia on the other side. And perhaps it's some combination of the two. And again, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? But the idea of a military conflict right now, a war in Europe, does allow central bankers to extend their, their dovish stance or their accommodative central banking policies to let interest rates stay lower for longer. And I think that the scariest thing for central bankers is what happens when they need to start increasing interest rates to affect some change on inflation and borrowing. Um, and this does buy them some more time. There's some scary so, economic kind of fundamentals going on with this. So obviously for you, Marcus, but for Justin and for Matthew as well, you know, talk to me about the average you know, connect client? Are they even aware of what's going on around the world? Are people starting to get, you know, spooked on a, you know, on the ground level for your average Joe like me? I mean, I think that it comes down to what they're seeing in the news when it comes to, uh, you know, their mortgage. Like, you know, when Marcus speaks about the economy, it's on, you know, much of a broader stroke and, and what's happening around the world. But for your average consumer, you know, they're more concerned about, you know, obviously what's going to happen to my mortgage today, right? Um, and anytime that there's talk about interest rates going up, um, you know, whether that be bond yields or prime rate or whatever the case may be is, we're, we are inundated with calls of clients that say, you know, is it time to lock in my mortgage, right? Like, you know, we have been a big uh, backer and supporter of variable rates for, for a long time now, just because historically, 
you know, over any five-year period, you can usually see a, a considerable savings with variable rates. I had a client reach out to me the other day and, and you know, they had a rate of, you know, it was like prime minus 75, which is 1.95 now. And they were saying, should I lock in my rate? And my answer was no, we should get you a better variable rate. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, uh, so yes, uh, clients are concerned, but they're concerned for, for different reasons than I think Marcus is talking about, right? They're concerned about the today, of course, yeah. I've noticed as well, you, you spend a little bit more time on the phone with these people, like last year and the year before, uh, you know, this, these types of conversations weren't really happening. Mm. And, and so that when you get on the phone with somebody and they start talking about like, you have to kind of educate them a bit of like, the spread between the variable and, and the fixed and those increases happening and what that math means and what that math equals out to. And, and before, like it last year, you can just convince anybody to take a fix because it was low. Today, it's like, you know, do the math with me on the phone. That takes a little bit more time. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, sorry, what, what Matt's kind of referring to is the math is I've been telling a lot of clients. So, so we've already seen one interest rate hike, right? And a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the economists and, and bankers have said that we're probably going to see five to six interest rate hikes, something like that, right? I know that Marcus thinks different. Um, but, you know, if you take the variable rate that it was before this first interest rate hike that was like, you know, 1.3, and you tack on, you know, one and a quarter percent onto that or one and a half percent, you're still not where you would be today if you had taken a five-year fixed rate. So, and, and with, you know, and you hear about what Marcus is saying with this, the economy slowing, Interest rates probably aren't going to go up as fast as what everybody's saying, mm -hmm. and and uh, you have to take that into account. If the economy is going to be slower, if the uh, if our wallets are are emptier, then like it's that month to month cost on taking that lower variable that's going to count over the next couple of years, right? How dangerous is it, guys? We got a few minutes left before we take a break. Um, let's talk short term, long term. How dangerous is you know our economic stability right now? Should people be you know when's the last time that we had you know concerns like we have right now you know it, it, that's a good point big bubbles get created when little bubbles don't get popped so on the road to here where we sit right now in 2022 we had something that should have imploded in 2008 mm. but we were protected by it with quantitative easing and a reduction in interest rates then we had COVID, another event that should have really impacted asset prices. But again, with incredibly accommodative monetary policy and quantitative easing, we insulated ourselves from it. Like I remember March of 2020, the S&P tanked to 2,600. Today, we're sitting at above 4,200. And it's whipsawing right now, like on a daily basis. If people are invested in like an index fund, they're seeing it rocket down 2%, up 2% on a daily basis. Not sustainable, but that type of volatility is what's happening in the market as it gets its bearings and tries to adjust to where we sit right now. The Now, Marcus, yeah, let me jump in really quickly because I think for the average person, I think you probably already explained it, but for someone that's not super familiar with the term whipsaw, what exactly does that mean? Just the, the variance that we're seeing in asset prices on a daily basis like you see any of the major indexes like the nasdaq you know the s p the dow jones they shouldn't behave where they're dropping two three percent in a day and then going up two three percent the next day 
that is that is an environment that is is really really difficult for the average retail investor. It's great for certain funds, hedge funds that are kind of daily trading and manipulating this, but it's not good for confidence in these markets. And it it does show this underlying risk like on a go forward basis. Like eventually something has to give here. Like the central banks, I mean, we know what their playbook is, right? If the economy goes in the wrong direction, they're going to stimulate it. And they have conf- they, they have the confidence of the government and the people up until now. And they very likely will continue to because a crisis in Ukraine brings more flight to safety and flight to risk-free assets. It provides them with more confidence to do the things they, they want to be doing. But at some point, someone's got to pay the piper for all this, all this money that's being printed. Like it, it costs the future when you spend today. One of the things we're looking towards with about 45 seconds left, just tee this up for us for when we come back with the BOC meeting in April. Just give me a quick headline to talk about for when we come back. I'd be surprised if we saw a 50 basis point hike because of what's going on in the Ukraine. I think we, I think some economists would say we need like a point on there. But I think we'll see a quarter point, and I think um, I think we'll see a really measured approach to monetary policy going forward because they got too many input variables happening right now. Lots still to come. Justin Turner is with us, Matthew Scanlon, along with Marcus Afaris. I'm Jay Michaels, and Make Money Count continues in moments. Toronto, defined by its people. Hardworking, dependable, generous, accepting, beautiful. People who need help sometimes. But when we need help the most, our banks say no. Connect helps homeowners borrow for less. Not just today, but forever. Your home loan approved online in seconds. Funded in 24 hours. Then, unbiased lending advice to get you back on track, the way it should be. I'm Marcus from Connect. Let's make money count. Welcome back to Make Money Count. I'm Jay Michaels. Marcus Safaris is here along with Justin Turner and Matthew Scanlon. Just before the break, we were talking about the BOC. They meet April the 13th. Guys, let's dive in. What are we going to see from this? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think nobody is expecting anything less than a 25 basis point hike. It's a lot. Also, whenever these announcements come up, it's a lot about the verbiage, like what they say. Um, There are certain things that they are monitoring. Obviously, inflation is number one of those concerns right now. And the way they speak about inflation makes a difference. We saw that kind of like a year ago when they started bringing up inflation and saying it was transitory. And now they're saying it's something that's more permanent that they have to address. So look to, we, we have to look to what they say as a, as a wink towards what they're going to do in the future. But I think, and I mean, if you have a variable rate with us or with anybody right now, expect another 25 basis points on it. But also look to see how they communicate that, that, that hike. Um, cause that's important. Should we do a bet? Sure. Like a, like a, like, like 50 bucks. But Mark, Matt, you in? Sure. A okay, buck 50. a basis point. 
Yeah, I I would say I say fifty basis points. You say twenty five. Yeah, Matt, we uh, took all the good ones. <laughs> on the next meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I have no place to go but zero. My, Matt's going one dollar, Bob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, there's there is a probability of it being zero. I say it's a better chance that it's zero than it's fifty. Done. I take fifty. I'll take you know what? zero. That means like, you know what would make it zero over fifty? is like some type of incident at like a nuclear facility in the Ukraine or Putin like losing his mind. Yeah, which hopefully does not happen. It looks there like, is Yeah, it looks like everyone's being so kind of careful around him, right? Like yeah. Poland said we'll send uh fighter jets to Through. Germany so that the United States can supply them yeah, to the yeah, Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. The United States was like, "No, thank you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like everybody knows <laughs> that like there's this like oligarch king with his finger on a button right now, right? I mean, it's... Uh, who's also been educated in how other of his other leaders were disposed. So now he's now protected himself in better ways that his past leaders couldn't, you know? Like when Stalin was dying, he couldn't just start pushing buttons. People were like, nah, I don't know. You know what I mean? He was protected by... Uh, other people that didn't want the buttons pushed. <laughs> Did you also hear that he's pay- re- He's going to repay all, all, all foreign debt back in rubles? <laughs> I swear to God. It was in the news. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. He was like, Hard oh, to you, believe you, that all of this could have been fixed if a guy just had been grown up a little bit taller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's Hard usually how it works out, man. Yeah. yeah. Napoleonic syndrome, right? Yeah. Let's talk a bit um, a bit closer to home and something that I think, you know, everybody's thinking about right now, and that, that's housing. Let's spend some time there. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our last show, right? Like, in the same way that interest rates aren't just aren't going to be able to solve inflation, interest rates aren't going to solve housing in Ontario and Canada on their own. Mm. There is a, like, a legitimate supply issue uh, for housing in as like we live in the gta for sure in ontario and the 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 kind of covid move out to the suburb is going to now turn into people moving back into mm-hmm. these kind of more densely populated areas and housing prices like we see condo fees like, sorry condo prices like per square foot prices of condos are not slowing down right and we're entering into a spring market right now. And I expect we're going to see them like 25 basis points didn't make a difference when it was being increased in 2010, 2011. It's not going to make a difference now. And I don't know that we're going to see any meaningful policy being enacted to affect any change on that. So um, I think I think that be- so also because of the amount that housing represents of our GDP, of our economy. Trying to stop it, where does the economy grow from? Mm. Like, how many more Shopify's do we have hanging around in our pockets? Mm-hmm. Right, the, the economy has to continue to grow, and the Bank of Canada is keenly aware of that. The government of Canada is keenly aware of that, and we just came off of this massive spending push that was artificially stimulating our economy. We know that the that our economy right now is, you know, it's it's all being driven on housing. Hopefully, we can switch gears to some natural resources, oil production. But to bring all that back online after our, you know, kind of environmentalist stance, which is a good thing, right? It's a good thing that we care about the economy. But what we're seeing is 
to to shut off that part of our economy and then bring it back online, it doesn't happen right away. Mm. Right. Let me direct this towards towards Matthew and Justin, because we always want to bring it back to, you know, the connect customer, the connect client. What kinds of questions are you guys being asked? What's the what's the temperature in the room for for people that are starting to talk to you about mortgages and and everything else? Are people a little bit spooked right now? I mean, it all like it all really comes back down to what we were talking about before, which is which is, you know, of course, rate. People do ask a lot like what, you know, housing prices are going to do and and you know, we talked about it on a previous episode and and you know, generally our answer to that is like if you're scared of housing prices, then, you know, move now, right? Because, you know, if you really think that housing prices are going to be affected by all this, which, you know... Move to a refinance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't like, move to buy. No, no, no. Don't move yeah, to yeah. buy. Yeah. Move to refinance. Like, because, you know, if you think that that your housing price is going to drop, then it's obviously, you know, it's a good time to act now to make sure that you're squeezing all the juice Um you know, out of that house as, as you can, right? So that you can, you know, deploy it in, in ways that are going to make you money rather than it just sitting Yeah, like there. if you think interest rates are going to rise really quickly, your house is worth a million dollars today. Interest rates rise really quickly, your house will be worth $700,000. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you will not be able to refinance the same amount of capital out to take control of your financial situation, right? Like mm-hmm. at a million bucks, an 80% refi is $800,000. Yeah, to educate at seven hundred, it's five sixty. To so, educate viewers, uh, lenders are typically willing to go up to eighty percent of the value of a house on a refinance. Mm-hmm. So, if the value of your house goes down, you're going to be able to get less money out of that refinance. Mm-hmm. And being able to take advantage of your high house, high housing prices, and low interest rates while refinancing is key. You don't want to try to do this in a year or two if uh, housing prices do go down and interest rates do go up. Yeah, unless they so, let so, you refinance to one hundred percent again. Hmm, used to be a 95% refi back in the day. That's really? With, that was a thing, huh? You could cashback. that high. You could do a 95% refi with a 7% cashback. When I first started in this business. It's 102, baby. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, I mean, the the rate was really really bad because every percentage point of cashback that you received yeah. was 0.2 or 0.25% added on to your interest rate. And when you broke the mortgage, you had an interest rate differential penalty. Plus, you got to pay that baby back. And you got to pay the cash yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. So it was like $100,000 penalty to break a mortgage. People were like, what? That's wild. So guys, what happens with people that decided to, to get out of Toronto, to get out of Montreal, to get out of the larger cities, move to the New Brunswick's, the Nova Scotia's? What happens to those people and their properties that have risen in value that they, they spent top dollar to buy? when they want to return to the urban centers? Is there a danger that we're going to have a glut of properties, you know, essentially in, in smaller areas of the country? Okay. So anytime the market moves, the rural areas get affected more than the kind of central areas. Um, in a situation like this, though, because I think that the central banks, central bankers are so aware of interest rates impacting housing prices, if we were to yank them up too quickly i think we're going to continue to see asset price appreciation like i think that the same fears that people have like oh my god is my house going to be worth way less if interest rates spike up too quickly and like how am i going to pay for it and i'm going to lose all my equity in the home governments have the same problem right like 
the think about this from the perspective of the Canadian government. The Canadian government has to repay its debt at the interest rate set by the Bank of Canada also. So if interest rates increase, if yields increase, the, the amount of interest that our federal government has to spend just to service its debt increases. Also, the Canadian government wants its citizens to feel rich for social stability, but also to levy tax upon them in order to pay for the interest and the expenditures that we've already incurred. So I would say that the, a mass migration from rural back to urban, likely we're not going to see it at the scale that anybody may. It, it might be anecdotal. Like it might be fun to write a newspaper article about it. But I don't think we're going to see this massive pushback. I think what we might see is people holding on to that real estate. I don't think it happens all at once. I think that if we saw a decline in housing prices, it would precipitate a further decline in housing prices. It's that like Nortel effect, right? Like people at 126 bucks were buying Nortel back in the day and they thought it was a genius idea. But when they saw Nortel drop to 80, the drop from 80 to 40 happened like that because everybody was rushing for the exit at the same time. Hmm. Can I actually ask a question? We only got two minutes left. Can I ask the last question here? And just to be clear, I would vote for you if you were prime minister. But in order to figure out... <laughs> you know what the out, problem is, eh? What? How packed my closet is with skeletons. Right. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> but how would you fix the situation? Oh, we got in? another picture of him. <laughs> <laughs> how would you fix the problem? How would you fix the economy? What would you do? You know what? The, okay. The, the problem is that... In 60 seconds, Marcus. Yeah. Okay. So here's <laughs> Yeah, the let's problem, go. No right? pressure. Like, you need to make some really, really difficult decisions right now. And it's, it's, it's like time to... It's, at some point, you got to take the medicine. Mm. The guy who administers the medicine is not going to be well-liked. <laughs> right? Like the guy who goes in and says like, oh, well, let's just keep spending more money. New monetary policy. Just like, let's... Fire up the printing presses. That guy's going to be popular and he's going to be in for three terms. Yeah. Somebody needs to come in with a more long-term vision of what needs to happen to restabilize our economy. Well, I'll tell you what I would have done is all the money that we spent on COVID, I would have tried to direct it to places where we could stabilize and grow our economy instead of just firing out checks to people. Like we, we did this universal basic income experiment. It failed. Universal basic income creates inflation. It artificially props up an economy. But if we were to expand programs like scientific research and economic development, like shred credits for technology companies, incubators, like focus on growing parts of the economy that we know are going to help us in the future. Like there are things like open banking that Canada lags behind on. There are so many regulatory hurdles that new businesses have to hop through. If we were to open more of that up, we could see our economy grow. 25% of Canadians are self-employed. When COVID hit, they lost businesses. Let's support them and help them grow their businesses. Let's not just fire out checks indiscriminately. Take a little more time and treat the money that we have, that we're spending, which is my kids' money, your future kids' money. Treat it with, uh, with a little more respect because someone else is going to have to work to pay that money back. It starts there for sure. You want to hear the rest of my platform now, guys? Yeah, go, go. Okay. It's Connect After Dark. So mushrooms. Why did you wear that for Halloween in college? What? Why did you wear that for Halloween in college? You know why I didn't know what you were talking about? Because I didn't wear anything for Halloween in college. 
there's a platform. Um, yeah, too many, too many skeletons. What were you going to say about mushrooms? I would legalize mushrooms immediately. Right. Yes. Mushroom. There's actually a bunch of mushroom farms, like healthy mushroom farms in Ontario. So if we actually did psychedelic mushrooms, it could be a great exporter. Okay. But the, like the, the finances are, are really the biggest issue right now, right? Like we are spending so much money. We don't know where it's going and we're doing it to like kind of keep this machine going. The United States is in the same conundrum. That's why you hear like this guy, like Jeremy Grantham. Do you know who that is? I have no clue who that is. He is like a massively popular money manager. He's like 190 years old. And he is saying that at some point we're going to see a massive impact. If we're going to see a massive impact on the market, right? Because it's just not sustainable. It's like this fight right now between debt and inflation. Right. So we know inflation is here. We know asset prices are increasing. We know input prices are increasing. We know supply chains are broken. But we also have so much damn debt that if we increase interest rates too quickly and too much, that debt becomes insurmountable for people. And if people feel poorer and poorer, we get social unrest. So there's like, we've now entered into a a more serious balancing act where like, confidence in the government and confidence in the central bank is becoming an issue and what do you do if you need to instill confidence give them money you spread some fear right so like i would take money something like a war certainly helps prop up the belief in Who's going to get us out of this? Well, it's our government and our central bank. We'll oh, yeah. To look to them right You're going to see the, si- the rise of like nationalism, like for lack of a better word, because like we're going to have to look internally because we can't, if we go to war, like if, if China makes a move on Taiwan too and keeps, keeps this thing going on, then this whole thing's going to keep on rolling and we're going to have to cut off ties with Russia, cut off ties with China and uh, keep, look internally for, for our economy. Uh, Housing prices would drop then, by the way. If, Ch- if China went into Taiwan... That would be a really big problem. You don't think they are definitely watching on the sidelines right now what happens in Ukraine and how the rest of the government. Of like, course. Yeah, for of sure course. They are. And I think, I, I mean, like, I think that the, the fact that the Ukrainians are holding up is more just a factor of kind of Putin saying like, hey, I'm going to come in there. You know, are we going to make this easy or are we going to make this difficult? And they're going to make it difficult. It's going to be like a kind of, continually more aggressive war that Russia's going to wage on the Ukraine. It's going to get worse before it gets better. He's going to, you know, he's going all in, right? He's, he's not going to stop. Mm. We can see that, right? Like he's, the negotiations that are taking place are all just for show. Fake. Yeah. Like it just, I had, I had, uh, I don't know. I was telling, I was telling Matt about, this. you know what they call it, Justin? What do they call it? Grin fucking. He's grin fucking them. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, also yeah. known as known as chin fuckery as well. Yeah, yeah. I was I was telling Matt about this the other day at the meeting at our Monday morning meeting that we have every Monday to make sure you. What day is the Monday morning meeting? Good name for it. It's on Monday. Good name for it. It is right. It gets to the point. <laughs> it's a meeting and it's on Monday. It's the Monday morning meeting and it's in the morning. It's not in the evening. Um, and I was I told them that I was watching this uh, documentary on the like kind of revolution. Uh, or or the uprising that happened in 2014 in the Ukraine. Yeah, it's on a, on Netflix right now. Yeah, and like I had 
like I see all these videos and stuff like that. And, and obviously you got to be worried or be careful about what you kind of see in the media and stuff like that. But I see like a lot of videos of the Ukrainian people that are just like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Like I'm staying here and I'm going to fight for, for my home. You yeah, know what I mean? I feel like they, Canada wouldn't be like that too, too much. Right. I would hope so. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. But, but watching this You'd documentary, be gone, eh? I'd be in none of it. I'd be in <laughs> alert, alert, none of it. Look it up, Matt. Look me, up. Me alert, and my family, me and my family all have uh, Kirkland Lake. That's where my dad grew up, and that's like if the nukes fall, that's where we're all meeting. That's Sorry, you're gonna go work for the company that supplies water to Costco? No, no. There's an actual place. <laughs> there's, an actual, there's an actual place called Kirkland Lake. I'm going to work for Kirkland Lake if this goes down. <laughs> no, it's just like it's just like uh, my da- everybody in my dad's family. My dad's family is pretty big, so everybody in my dad's family knows of Kirkland Lake. And you know, my dad's family is all police and military, so we've all have right. like the zombie apocalypse plan. Can you right? actually pull up alert none of it and put it on the screen? <laughs> sure. Seriously, and it has. It's the craziest thing because I saw it today. And it has a Tim Hortons. So there's hey, a Tim Hortons in the town. How close to Russia is it? Uh, Have you looked that up? Uh, it's pretty close. <laughs> it's, I think it's closer than Toronto, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I man. think the documentary you guys might be talking about, if it's the one I'm looking at, it's a few years old, but it's called Winter on Fire, yes. Ukraine's yes. Fight for Freedom. Yeah. So talk look about you know foretelling what the struggles would look like. That was 2015 they made that doc. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, for sure. But it's just the video, like the... The footage in this movie is like the Ukrainian people were just like, I'm not going to deal with this because it was all about joining Russia. And they were like, no way. So I can see why they're like, dude, this is so far Look north. At this. Like, Look dude, at this. The, the Franklin expedition died here. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Just keep zooming in. I just keep zooming in. You keep her going. You got to find the Tim Hortons. Keep her going. No, keep her going. Keep her going. Keep her going. Well, it's because this is Canadian state forces. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Find the Timmies. It's there. <laughs> How wild is that, though? That's the North Pole, like pretty much. Like Santa, that's Santa's neighbor. So the uh, my, I, the the reason why there's a military base like there there is because uh, everyone's on alert. Well, they well that it's true. They uh, it's part of uh, Canada's plan to keep our like sovereign uh, territory occupied. So that nobody else takes it. Right. Me, we're talking about how much land would cost up there, and I'm pretty sure it's just free. You just go up there and you say, like, this is now mine, because no one in their right mind wants to live up there. Wow, you you can just squat, because, I mean, who's going to come and find you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let me ask you guys something about, let's, let's take it up a couple of thousand feet and talk about uh, Russian oligarchs. It was today that Britain froze the assets of seven mm. Russian businessmen, including Chelsea Football Club owner Roman Abramovich. Quietly, quickly rather, shedding their reputation as a place where rich Russians with connections to Putin were welcome to live, invest, and donate. This is just one story we're hearing about oligarchs. Uh, yachts being seized. They're being quick to t- try to get the hell out of Dodge when it comes to their money and their wealth. Does putting a focus on Russian oligarchs really have a trickle down to make any real difference to put pressure on someone like Vladimir Putin? Or is that just like kind of window dressing? Or is it legit? I, th- I think it's legit. I mean, it's certainly legit for those oligarchs. I think you got to think about these oligarchs as like the captains of the mob, right? Like there's the mob boss and then there's a couple captains. Each one's got the capos. Yeah. Like yeah, you get the numbers, you get the broads. Matt takes the drugs, <laughs> right? Like and, and wow, everybody you that out quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm the capo and everybody <laughs> feed me 15, 20 points. And hey, listen, Mad Dog. 
if you have a yacht, it's basically my yacht, right? Right. And uh, so, I, like, I think, like, you you saw when uh, kind of when the Soviet Union moved from Yeltsin era to Putin era, era you saw this, like, wholesale gobble up of these amazing assets, right? Like, Russia has some amazing natural resource companies and natural resources, for that matter. And they got gobbled up by a few insiders who were, you know, kind of either KGB related or Putin related. And they they got to amass these massive piles of wealth. I think that although it's not a massive impact to just isolate 10 or 15 oligarchs, I think you are affecting uh, their lifestyles, certainly. And you... You know, you would hope that some pressure may come of that onto Putin. But again, like to think that Putin didn't know that all of this was on the table is ridiculous. Like it's a guy who's been running a country. Talk about long game. This guy's been running this country for over 20 years. Right. So over that period, and he's got of a time, plan for the next few years. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You would think so. And like, you know. These guys are chess players, right? He's studied this. He, he, nobody knows better than he how this is going to play out. And he's holding his cards close to his chest, right? There are certain things that should worry us, right? The fact that China's grin-fucking us just as badly as Russia is right now should scare everybody. Absolutely. And we, like, we're hearing some talk about this. There's a guy named Kyle Bass who's on CNBC yesterday. He was talking about some of these sanctions. And he was like, listen, sanctions are great. The problem is, is that with China, the Russians can circumvent a lot of these sanctions, mm -hmm. right? Like if you still have a market and you can, you can drive your commerce through another avenue, there may be an arbitrage there. Like you may have to repay debt by selling oil at a discount somewhere else, or you might have to take your gold and, and bring it through another channel, but you still have these assets. And like certain countries in the world are still... They're not joining these bans. Like Japan said, we got to do what's good for Japan. Sorry, everybody. Mm. So it's just we're living in a world where we maybe spent too much time focused on our environmental stability over the last little bit. And we let our environmental policy affect our foreign policy to a level that was called for, like, you know, in economics, like push versus pull. So like, you know, push is like pushing an agenda or a product out into the marketplace. Pull is like when you create um, the, the, like the general public is demanding it. So we had a pull on these carbon offsets and on this environmental protection, right? Like the, the issue becomes is if we are not energy sustainable, like we being North America, right? United States, Canada. If we give that up and we heavily rely on others, it will affect at some point, read right now, it will affect how secure we are as a nation. It will secure, it, it, like this is the security of countries. And you're enriching one country because not in my backyard, we don't want a pipeline. Not in my backyard, oil sands are dirty. 
But then you have an exodus of 2 million people from a country because another country thinks they're so powerful that they can go and take it. That doesn't happen if shale's still moving out of the United States. It doesn't happen if there's a Keystone Pipeline. It doesn't happen if we figure out a way for alternative energy to meet alternative energy. But we're not there yet. Like We don't have enough solar and wind assets creating enough energy for us to substitute fossil fuels. We may in 15 years. We can't just stick our head in the clouds and pretend like the next 15 years are going to be all rosy. I, th- I think that, that Marcus like, uh, uh, is raising some great points here. And, and, and you kind of have to like, realize that like, in the past when war efforts have, have, have been there, like, like, like especially for America, uh, um, capitalists have kind of stepped up for it like henry ford stepping up and changing the 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 line to to make jeeps and stuff like that like now america's economy is very different where production isn't a thing like what's amazon can't ramp up production because all it is is really a third party uh vessel for chinese production so uh facebook can't ramp up production because it's doesn't make anything. These big American companies don't produce anything. We're we're Amer- we're we're we can't create this economy. We need to cre- like Marcus talks about energy because that's our big exporter. When we create stuff, it's energy. The export, like the money that we can make off of other nations, is energy. Yeah, like we we don't have a pipeline to get our 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 natural resources from the west to the east. And as a result, we buy oil from Russia. Right. Okay. What do you think is going to happen? I mean, and, and this is where this idea of like national interest, like hey, we should the be caribou. Building- the caribou are going to be all right. Their migration patterns are unaffected. Unfortunately, we've affected migration patterns for Ukrainians. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark, but so true. You know. You know what? I. 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 I'm actually very, very impressed by. Um is Vladimir Putin I didn't I didn't know this but his ability oh, no. to score a hat trick <laughs> <laughs> so true I, yeah, yeah like he gets eight goals a game right yeah like yeah yeah that that's that's how he should be battling the the planet is to strap on his skates that's what yeah I'm it's thinking. also interesting how his uh the opponent hockey players on the ice of them at the time skate so well considering they're strapped with explosives yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty much yeah but yeah Both I think move, honestly, to answer your question I think that the the oligarchs uh, are 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 like they they're captains of their leader Putin, and they ride or die with that guy. So like you know what you want their yachts, okay? You know we're not going to be popping bottles in the south of France this year, but they probably will anyways. Yeah, right? Like Abramovich probably just retreated to his five hundred million dollar compound on Saint Barts. Yeah. Wow. Look that one up, Matt. It's on Grosvenor Beach. It's like he bought the whole beach from like a Rothschild or a probably I think it was an old Rothschild compound that he bought. That's ironic if you're a conspiracy theorist. Also, by the way, if someone doesn't pitch sort of a uh, Sopranos meets Russian oligarchs HBO show after this, I'm taking it and running. (laughs) There you go. It's all yours. (laughs) What do you think, Matt Dog? To which, which, which part of this, this giant shit pie? Yeah, I mean, like, where do you think this nets out? Like, where do you think um, we sit in, hopefully, 
you know, one month? Uh, you know, I'm, one of the things that I'm really paying attention to is, you know, a lot of the collateral damage that we're seeing, a lot of the collateral damage, by collateral damage, I mean death, you know, and specifically with children, people that are trying to escape through what are supposed to be sanctioned escape routes out of, out of the Ukraine. It's because Russia's using dumb bombs and dumb bombs don't have any brains, hence the name. So they essentially just lob them and wherever they land, they land because there's no, there's no real trajectory. They're massive. A lot of them don't even explode. And then on the sidelines, you've got, a, you've got America sending to the Ukraine these surface-to-air missiles that have incredible accuracy. So despite the fact there's not a sanctioned no-fly zone over the Ukraine, you essentially have one because Russia's scared shitless to fly over. So even if they do, they essentially are in a no-fly zone because they get shot down immediately. So what they're doing is from just outside, they're lobbing all these dumb bombs. So what you've also got is a real sort of Mexican standoff, right, where everybody's kind of tentative. So if, if one country goes a little bit too far, if American missiles knock down too many Russian planes or Russia gets a little bit more brave to go into the Ukraine, that could be the tipping point. And it's, 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 it's really interesting because despite sanctions, despite military support, essentially what America is doing is, is funding the Ukraine's war against Russia, while Russia is essentially saying, if you fund their war, we will do something. So it's one step away right from from something happening but does this end up like so many other conflicts that we saw that it just drags on and drags on and drags on and costs billions of dollars and in 2022 can there even be something that can be done that can turn the tide of a war i doubt it i think that's a good uh a good viewpoint on yeah. this. i think yeah it's going to be a bit of a slow bleed like i think he's going to ramp things up a little bit but i think things change probably when he takes kiev like, I, I, I think that's, I, I, unfortunately, I think it's inevitable. Um, and I think that's when, uh, then I think that's when his negotiating power increases to a level that he's probably comfortable sitting back down at the table and being like, all right, let's figure out a way that I can control this country. I think that that's the, the thing though, is that, uh, you know, he's only really got about 200, 250,000 soldiers that he can allocate to the area and like policing the whole nation. Uh, once he does take Kiev is, you know, next to impossible. So let's just say he does take the major rurals. Like that's only really 50% of the land mass, maybe even less, uh, that he then has to police like in a, in a military type policing. So, uh, don't you kind of think that like in a month i don't know why i hope in a month we're going to be like oh my god that's what his game plan is. i think exactly something i well yeah. this is what i was you know i was kind of trying to say this two months ago when people were like why do you think that the trucker protest is being funded by russian money i'm like misinformation to destabilize our nation for another game and then the other problem is is like it's a game of chicken with like nuclear warheads yes and like Unfortunately, I think he has more visibility in at what point the American car will turn off the road than we have at what point his car is going to turn off the road. So it's at a disadvantage in playing that game of chicken. Yeah. Safe to say we're going to be here next week, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tune in we next week. week. From Kirkland Lake. Yeah. <laughs> We got all the bottled water and muffins we can eat. Yeah, croissants <laughs> and off and hey, terribly fitting T-shirts. Bro, lay off the croissants. 
I'm out. I'm out. The only reason why those t-shirts fit terribly on you is because of the croissants. <laughs> See what I put up with? We Mad should Dog? probably stop before things get, before someone says something that hurts someone's feelings. Let's cut it. 